podcast as part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome to today's episode of the 49ers Unrestricted Podcast. I'm Timmy Gibson here with Daniel Bigelow. Daniel, how are you doing this morning? I am swell. I am swell. Yes, swell. Had to be swell this morning. Um, what a funky day yesterday. What a funky game. That was one of the most up and down games I have watched in at least recent years, if not ever. Um, yeah. I was watching it with two buddies and it was, you know, not, a, not off to a great start. Um, prayers up for for Trenton Cannon, obviously. Yeah, that's. And, it sounds uh, like he's uh, Trenton Cannon. If you didn't see, pretty bad head injury on the the opening kickoff return. Um, he had to get put in an ambulance. Sounds like the the tweets we were seeing is that he was in stable condition at the hospital. But that's if you watch football, you've you've seen this, and it's one of the scariest and darkest sides of of being an NFL fan. A crazy way to start a game. First play. Uh, we, we take our time handling that, and then we, we come out on defense. Three great plays, you know, force them to fourth and six, and defense is looking good. And then Pete Carroll pulls out his first trick in the bag, and I just still can't, can't understand how this works so well. Yeah. The fake punt, a direct snap to Travis Homer, and he just took off to the races. Um, he had blockers running there with him. Ayuk was in the backfield waiting to return, the, uh, receive the punt. And he like, yeah, Ayuk got blocked, but I don't even know how he approached the tackle. You can tell Brandon Ayuk plays offense for a reason. And it was just a bummer of a play. And that set the tone right away that, and so essentially we were just fighting back all game. Um, but the Niners have struggled against the Seahawks against Pete Carroll for years. So Timmy, I don't, I don't, what, what were your thoughts on the first 60 seconds of the game? Yeah. I mean, it's always, it's, it's tough. You could, I, I honestly think the 49ers first drive in a little bit is just, it's tough to see your teammate, like get carted out on a backboard and put in an ambulance like that. That takes a little bit of time to, I don't know if mojo is the right word, but to get to your mojo back, kind of get back in, in the game. So I, I do think that is probably what was behind the first, the 49ers offense did stall a little bit in the beginning special teams as well. I mean, that was their first play since a part of their unit was seriously injured. So I think stuff like that is I, those first few things I really just, uh, just point to, yeah, the after effects of watching your teammates suffer a really scary injury. And I thought that that fake punt, I thought that was just Pete Carroll to a T. Um, to me, that is who Pete Carroll is. That is the kind of coach he is, um, at least when when he's coaching a team like the Niners that he's played against for, for years and years at. Fourth and six, um, I don't think he was manipulating that moment, saying like, oh, they're not super aware because of what happened to Trent Cannon. I, I just, I, no. you know, that's not fair to, to say, no. to put that on him. But I think it was just trying to catch us off guard early. And it worked. It was, it was disgusting how well and how easy that play worked. Yeah. Um, I find it, I mean, I did not see it coming whatsoever. Obviously I don't think it was supposed to be a touchdown when the Seahawks drew it up. It was supposed to get them the four yards or something. Yeah. It was fourth and six and he took off. Yeah. No, that was, yeah. The fourth and six takes it all the way to the house. 
that was rough. But then the 49ers really, really came back punching um, with a couple of touchdown drives. Looking that touchdown pass to Kittle was one of Jimmy's best he's thrown thrown in a long time. Um, at what point did Jimmy's first pick come? Because if we're going to talk about Jimmy, we got to talk about the fact that he threw two of the worst interceptions I've ever seen. And I'm right back to thinking it might be time to move on. Were you uh, talking about his uh, Kittle's first touchdown was the, one of the best throws? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The deep pass. I, th- pretty- I thought it was it was fantastic. I think it was a. I think George made it look a little bit better than it was because he went up to grab it. Yeah. I feel like we saw a lot of back to start of season Jimmy where every throw was too high, um, and that was a that was a frustrating aspect to it. But you're talking yeah. about his first touchdown. I, yeah, I am talking about his first touchdown. It was oh, a you nice asked, deep you pass. Asked about his first interception. First interception. Okay. That was that one was rough. Um, but I I kind of think to speak to those overthrows, I'm not sure the overthrows ever stopped. I think he just had open guys who were able to get up and catch them, and so the mistake doesn't hit as much if your if your team is able to make up for it. You know. Yeah, I, I think for time he certainly had him more dialed in. He he had him lower, I guess. Or, you know, there's there's no easy way to to put it but i i think that receivers have made him look better you're right but i I do think that he certainly made it a little bit easier for them um both i know one pick was late but i can't find were they both in the second half um i thought one was in the first half but jimmy threw two two terrible picks that were to no one um no pressure no one in his face nobody i thought somebody tipped the ball at first nobody tipped the ball they were just bad. Like, I do not know how an NFL quarterback makes those throws. Like, I watched them. I don't think there was a miscommunication on a route or anything. I think he just threw terrible passes. And so that that's kind of frustrating to see. Um, just to go a little bit more into the Jimmy Garoppolo performance. For some reason, we ran a read option with him. I don't uh, know why we're doing that when we have Trey. Um, that was my least favorite play all game. Yeah. So just, not, just things like that. Jimmy's fault. That's a horrible play call. Yeah, and it's tough because Jimmy was literally the best quarterback in football for like the three or four games preceding this and now kind of lays an egg. And yeah, I mean, I think this game can go in a lot of ways. You want to keep just breaking it down time by time and then we can talk about, you know, the true champions of this game, which were the the referees. We can we can talk about them right away because I don't personally like sure was the officiating bad. Yeah, that was that was not a great game. I was a felt pretty one sided. Um but I really do think that this is more on the Niners than the refs. That was yeah. sloppy football. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree. And I, I think it is always true that if you are in a position where one or two calls going the other way can decide the game for the other team, like that's your fault. Like you you need to put the game away in a way that it cannot be touched by the refs making bad calls. I agree with that. But the 49ers would have won yesterday if the refs had made a couple of different calls. There was some terrible holding penalties, both ones that they missed on the 49ers. Like when uh, there was one I saw, I think Charles Omenihu tweeted it out today, and it was just terrible holding penalty that didn't get called. Um, the NFL needs to do something about this holding penalties. I was talking to a buddy of mine, and he was like, well, you can't call them all the time because it would just slow the game down so much. And I'm like, no, like if players are cheating every single play, like we should call it. And there's other people who are like, well, it's so good they don't call them as much because like we score more. And it's like we shouldn't be scoring if you're cheating. It's just tough when you have one of the NFL's true elite pass rushers and you just the refs just won't call call penalties yeah, against I, him. So that's frustrating. I can visibly see he was held. Yeah. 
that's that's frustrating. The Lakin Tomlinson holding, I don't know, I did not look like he was holding to me. The Trent Sherfield block in the back, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah. that, and that, that fourth... that's where I think that they did it to themselves is that was a huge play. Sure. And while it didn't, while Tomlinson's holding penalty didn't scream holding to me, it was on a big play. And so we had a lot of big plays taken back because of our penalties. And but even whether, with those, whether we agree with them or not. Yeah. Even with those on that last, t- that last drive, fourth and goal, like we've gotten past both of those penalties were on the last drive. 49ers overcome those, get down to the goal line. It's fourth and goal, pass to Trent Sherfield, blatant pass interference. I mean, just absolutely ridiculous. He's got him wrapped up. Like, I, yeah. I do not understand how you don't call that. And I get like the argument of like, well, you don't want to call it in a big moment is so dumb because you're just letting people cheat when it's going to have the biggest impact. And so not yeah. calling that is is ridiculous to me. I mean, he's got two arms wrapped around him. And yes, we have three other plays to score. We should have put Trey in and run a read option. We should have done all of that. But when you see, like, he probably would have caught this, but the guy who had two arms wrapped around him before the ball was even thrown, like, it's, it's hard to not be mad at the referees for that. So yes, the 49ers should have put that game away and not had it in a position where the refs making bad calls could decide it. But the refs making bad calls did decide it because even with the way the 49ers played, a few calls, especially that pass interference at the end, go the other way, we win. I feel like I'm back in the MLB postseason with the Giants. And if, if, if listeners, if you watched baseball, if you remember that, that last at-bat of Wilmer Flores where his check swing was called a strike and – Everyone and their mother knew it was not and reviewed it. And even I'm sure the umpire went home and said, yeah, I I made a bad call where it's like, yeah, I'm not going to blame. I don't want to blame the umpires or refs any game ever because we have an entire football or baseball game to go out there and win it. And if it's coming down to that last little moment, you know, you had time to do better is always my, my philosophy. But in that instance where it's like, I can't help but think if, that strike was, wasn't called a strike. It was a ball. What yeah. could have happened? Same thing for, for yesterday. If that PI call was made or if he wasn't pass interfered with to, in the first place, what could have happened? Um, you know, and it's, it's so frustrating because of how close it was, how contested the game was in that moment. Um, and then what a horrible way to end it with last throw of the game, just a blocked pass. Carlos Dunlap gets his hand up and blocks it. You're right. That wasn't the fourth, the fourth down play with the, the Sherfield holding. It was third down. Fourth we had down another the, and the getting tipped. Yeah. I wish it was because that, that fourth down was just horrible. You know, I watched it in slow motion and Carlos Dunlap had his hand up just like half a second before Jimmy threw it. And I get it. Like you, you see a guy, you're, you're looking at him. You're not necessarily seeing Dunlap's hand up already. Yeah, and that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to keep your eyes downfield. Yeah, and oh. I, but I just watching it slow motion. I'm like, no, I see his hand. Don't throw it. But, you know, that's easy to, to say for me now. But I thought that, as I said, this is one of the most up and down games. So I don't want to sit here and dwell on the fact that we sucked for part of it. We shot ourselves in the foot with 10 penalties for 86 yards, and the refs did not help by any means. Because um, there was also some awesome parts to this game. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah the biggest story heading into this game is that we did not have Debo Samuel and we did not have Fred Warner, Dre Greenlaw. Um, Those are the big names that were out. There were other guys that were out. Uh, Marcel Harris, Maurice Hurst. So 
Aziz Alshire steps in at middle linebacker. Plays I, great. I believe, I believe he's never played middle linebacker in the NFL. Um, but he, you're right. He stepped in in a massive way. He had some huge moments he had. Uh, where did I put his? I believe he had 11 solo tackles. He had a goal line stop with a forced fumble. Gerald Everett's second fumble of the day. Um, he was just so crucial on defense when we had a, another depleted defense all throughout the game with Tart and Mosley having injuries and eventually leaving. Um, Diamador Lenore came in. Dante Johnson came in and hurt us and helped us in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, I, I would give a, a game ball to Aziz Alshire, whether we win or lose, just because he was a huge force in this game. And, I think he he stepped up as a leader big time. Um, so when you get your third linebacker and a guy who was you know didn't have a starting job this year but has stepped up in this way, I just that blows me away. Yeah. The other aspect on the other side of the ball is George freaking Kittle, man. Um, I was hoping that Brandon Ayuk was going to step up in a big way in Debo's absence, and. I mean, George put up Debo numbers and then some. For, yeah, for and game. a Debo touchdown. Yes. Toes on the line. To dude. see a man as large oh. as George Kittle move as agilely as he did on that play, I don't understand how – like, I don't think I would have the presence of mind to even think, like, I'm almost at the line, like I need to tiptoe. Now, add in you're going full speed. It's a split-second decision, and I don't even know how big George Kittle is, 200-something pounds. Like, I, I don't know, but that was, a, that was a wide receiver touchdown run by a tight end. That was a – the only other tight end I've seen ever make a play like that was Rob Gronkowski. He's the only other tight end I've seen move the way Kittle moved in that play. It was incredible. Yeah, just for context, George Kittle is 6'4", 250 pounds. That is a large man just dancing. And, I mean, did you see the picture? Like, you can see, like, a blade of green grass. Like, you, you can just barely see that he is in there. So, yeah. incredible play. Um, his stat line, he had 12 targets, 9 receptions, 181 yards, and 2 touchdowns. Yeah. Just amazing how he was able to make that work. And um, he, had, he had some awesome blocks. I'm trying to remember some of the specific plays as well. Um, Kyle Juszczyk had some awesome blocks as well but I mean this is every week these two guys are are laying it up with the blocks um, and both of them are making it count yeah. on offense um, yeah there's no way we would have been in that game with without Kittle without Allshire um, again I'm bummed that Ayuk wasn't more of a presence he had a horrible drop it, you know the drop was rough it was, a, it was still like, if, if I'm going to be picky about it, it was thrown a little high, but you're wide open to hit you in a hand. There's no excuses on that one. Um, yeah, and, and Elijah Mitchell was not absent from this game, um, but he, ha he had some hard times getting stuff going. Yeah. He did have a touchdown. I don't think it was very long. Um, no. I'm going to say he, he had like 66 yards, and I think he averaged three yards per carry. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think our offense as a whole just didn't do a great job of getting into a rhythm, and I think that affected Mitchell. I don't have any bones to pick with Mitchell's performance specifically, but maybe that's just because all my bones are with Jimmy Garoppolo, and I don't have room for any other bones. But I don't know if that expression works, but you see where I was going. But yeah, Mitchell did definitely not one of his like big, big games he's been pulling in recently, but 
he did definitely have a little bit of an injury that sidelined him for a few plays at least. And yeah. Yeah, it's tough. I, I, I'm not a fan of the way, you know, I love that we have Trey, but if you guys, if you remember back to the start of the year um, and we talked about the, the duo of Jimmy G and Trey Lance and, I, I said it worked for this team. Um, I just still think it's hilarious how I believe everyone thought at the start of the year that we were going to see a, a tag team, a dual action this year with them. And at least to some extent, I sure thought we were going to see a lot of switching in and out. <laughs> just thinking about the the little we've seen of Trey Lance with unless Jimmy is out. It just has yeah. blown me away of like, we got it wrong, but like everyone got it wrong. You know, yeah. everyone thought it was going to look different. Um, and people thought that platoon was just a, just a waiting period until Trey took over. Like, I think most people thought Trey would be starting by now. Absolutely. You know, we all, even I said it by the end of the year, I expect Trey to be in unless we're easily playoff bound with Jimmy, then, then no, you keep him in. But we are still in the still playoff in- hunt and could be playoff bound easy, um, but not as easy as I was saying that in that statement of, you know, it, it'll be Jimmy as we ride out. But yeah, I definitely think that at this point um, there, there will be no switch, nor do I want a switch. Um, yeah. It's, it it's tough because like these past few episodes, we've been talking about how well Jimmy's been playing and all of these things. And it's tough to sound like we're like, flipping on them on a dime but it's like when you see a game like this you're reminded of the floor and the lows that come along with Jimmy Garoppolo and that's these overthrows these interceptions this even plays where it's like oh like even the tray we saw and the limited times we saw him I think could score here like on those four on that goal line stand at the end like I find it hard to believe that Trey couldn't have run the ball. I mean, he ran a ball in like that against the Lions when everybody on the field and in the stadium knew he was going to run and he still got it in. Like stuff like that. Or maybe it was the, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Like yeah. he, I find it really hard to believe that he could not have, um, have gotten in. Yeah. I just don't, I don't know why we haven't seen more of the, the dual action threat like we did in the early season and we didn't even see much of it then. Um, like that read option on the fourth down earlier in the game that you had already mentioned um, that it makes no sense to run that with Jimmy in my mind. Um, but we did like, he's not great with those plays and Trey absolutely is. Yeah. So I just don't get why we're not doing any switches or bringing him in for plays like that. Um I don't, I don't understand why it's gone the way it has. And part of me thinks it's, it's too little too late. You know, I don't even, not that I don't want to see it anymore, but I'm like, yeah, it's, you know, just finish it out. Just write it out. If you're, if you haven't done it all year, why do it now? I think it would just make me angry going, we could have done this for how long? Yeah. See, I just kind of fall back to my same argument that I've, that I've made before, which is, I just, I don't think that Jimmy Garoppolo gives us, a significantly higher chance to win games than even a raw still developing Trey Lance does. Like, I don't know. So that's, that's kind of what I come back to is like, we're kind of in playoff contention. Who knows? We keep shooting ourselves in the foot, stuff like that. Is it the coaching? Maybe. I think there's a lot of things to be said about Kyle Shanahan. And I think we're how still he's tied handled for the second wildcard spot with the sure. Washington football team. Sure. And I think how he's handled things with, um, with Jimmy Garoppolo, all of that is, it like needs and Trey Lance needs to be talked about, but I keep coming back to like, 
I'm just not sure that Jimmy gives us that much higher of an upside over Trey. And on a season where like, yeah, we're, so we're the seventh seed right now. We're in, we're in the playoffs still, but in a season where it's like, I don't, I don't see us going to a Super Bowl. Like, I feel like I don't, I don't know why we're not um, maybe taking the opportunity to develop Trey a bit more. So the next year we can load him in and be ready to go. Cause it, it seems like Jimmy's going to be traded. There's been, rumor after rumor about that in recent weeks. And I think we've all kind of expected that after this year, Jimmy would, would be sent away and the keys would be handed to Trey. So if that's, that's going to be the case, I find it hard to believe we can get him up and ready to go just in next year's training camp. Like I'd like to, I'd like to see him more. Yeah. And I think on another note, uh, a big reason uh, that we lost this game, um, even though it was as close as it was, um, you know, I, I couldn't even believe it was as close as it was down to the wire in that last minute with uh, – because uh, Aziz's fumble was right at the last – their last drive, right? I thought they were about to get a touchdown. They were going to seal the win essentially, and Aziz got the the forced fumble, and then we were able to get down the field. That's what's crazy um, is we had two goal line turnovers, Yeah, two of them, and we still couldn't – and we drove all the way down the field, like all the, it's like, like I was celebrating in my head. I was like, we're going to get this. Like, do we go for the two point conversion? Do we send it to overtime? Like yeah. in my head, we, we scored in that moment. Yeah, I think so. And we were so, we had been the most efficient, like red zone offense in football over the past like month, like all these things. I was like, we're like, we're marching. When we got down to that first and goal, I was like, this is done. Like we're going to score. And the fact that we could not get that in is ridiculous. It's an yeah, embarrassment I'm- to having like a, a coach who's supposedly one of the best offensive minds in football not be able to, to get his team a touchdown in that situation. I'm a big fan of the way that some of the defensive players showed up. Um, we had four forced for on our side. Uh, that one we're talking about in the goal line for Aziz Alshire, uh, Kawan Williams also. Oh, K- uh, Kawan was the one who had the, the late one, I believe. Yes, yes, that was Kawan Kiyo. Williams had uh, that, that last goal line one, Trey. Uh, Trey. Aziz Alshire had the first one. DJ Jones had a forced fumble, and Nick Bosa had a forced fumble when he almost destroyed Russell Wilson. And yeah. somehow the Seattle center picked up that fumble. Yeah, that one was rough. We, I mean, we were all over Russ to the extent of some Before actually sack. justified. Yeah, a couple of justified um, roughing the passer penalties as well. Yeah. Um, one of the big things that I have been looking at from the Niners uh, on the stat line this year, especially of late, is the games, and this makes sense, obviously, but the games where we control the ball more, we're winning those games, which that makes sense. Like, that's not a, a crazy statement, but at times, there are there are definitely teams with a much bigger booming offense, and I'm talking like the Green Bay Packers, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, when you've got a top quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, with a crazy receiver like Devontae Adams or Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, and you get some of those big plays, you don't always actually have more time of possession because you don't need it half the time. Um, we don't we don't have a lot of those crazy deep throws into the touch uh, into the end zone for a touchdown. Um, so we we are slow and steady wins the race is our style of offense usually unless we can get you know it's either Debo or George getting yards after a catch. It's not this big bomb that we usually catch. It happens, but. That's not how we roll usually. So our time of possession usually is a lot more. Um, we had – it was much closer than it hopefully should have been this week. And so SF had 
26 minutes, 41 seconds time of possession and Seattle had 33 minutes, 19 seconds. Yeah. That time of that possession is, is huge. It is. And this, this isn't a huge difference. Like that is seven minutes, but it's been 14 minutes the other way. The Niners having more time of possession the last three, four weeks. Yeah. And I mean, seven minutes, that's, that's over 10% of the time the game is played. So that's a significant chunk of time. So I think that is a huge part of, of why yesterday was such a struggle. Um, we had more yards than them. We had, I believe they might've had more passing, but we had still had more rushing. Um, if anything, it was still really close. But again, I, they had either four or six penalties and we had 10 for 86 yeah. yards. So that was a huge part of what killed yeah. us, whether, whether it was the ref's fault for the, the yards or ours. Yeah, that was not a game the Seahawks won. It was more, it was a game the 49ers lost. And you can blame the refs for that, but uh, you also have to talk about discipline. You have to you have we we have to move the conversation at some point to Kyle Shanahan. And I I'm I'm good to do that now if you are. I yep. I'm in a group chat with some friends in another fantasy football league and I've got friends who are like, "Why is this guy thought of as a good coach at all? Like, why do you keep him on the team?" And I'm like, "Guys, like you have to think like like he genuinely is and I just think from hearing this from people like who are I'm just going to say around the league, but like who are around the league talking on other podcasts that I listen to, Kyle Shanahan is is thought of as like I think he's as good as advertised of an offensive mind, but everything else that comes with being a coach not great. And something needs to, needs to change, whether that's bringing in some sort of an experienced presence to maybe, maybe give Kyle a little mentorship and being a head coach. Like, honestly, I kind of want Mike Shanahan to come in and be the 49ers general manager or come in and be like a special assistant to the head coach. Like I want somebody who can, who can be like, Kyle, like, what are you doing? Like you have a rookie head, you have a rookie quarterback who you just gave all this confidence to, and now you're going to pull the rug out from under him. Like we need somebody who can just sit with him and be like, you need to think about the human impact of what you're saying or the, the leadership aspect of what you're saying. Cause or the player personnel decisions he makes, someone needs to, something needs to happen to help balance out the lows in terms of personnel decisions, kind of leadership ability, communication style that we've seen recently that are coming with the highs of the brilliant offensive mind that is Kyle Shanahan. Because I think there is might just be something too, he's just so much smarter than everybody else that he gets mad when other people don't get it. And someone, something needs to change to balance that out. I don't know. What do you think, Daniel? Kyle seems like a pretty normal dude in terms of human interaction i guess but i'm thinking of like you know i think of albert einstein crazy genius dude not the most normal person of course yeah kyle shanahan crazy genius dude in terms of football so obviously that is a a far-fetched example but you know it's it's tough because those those points you're making like yeah that that is that has been a struggle and this has been a weird year because of those things yeah and what we talked about uh, maybe a month ago where Kyle is an incredible offensive mind and uh, scheme guy, but yeah. maybe not the best play caller. And we certainly saw that yesterday with Jimmy doing a read option on whatever fourth and it was. And, you know, so I guess what I'm, I'm, what I'm thinking right now and having a hard time figuring out how to communicate is what matters more a guy who has maybe the best offensive mind in football currently, or one of the best out there that I'm aware of. And you get that, but you get maybe a little bit of some poor decisions. Obviously like every head coach in the NFL is making poor decisions at some point, 
but you're like, is Andy Reid or is he just perfect? Um, And I think like, I think something like you think Sean McVay's first season with the Rams, he came in and he, he brought in Wade Phillips to be his defensive coordinator. This guy who had been around the league for forever, older guy, much more of a, like a veteran coaching presence. And McVay doesn't need that now, but it made a lot of sense to bring in someone like that early on. So I, I would love maybe if the 49ers, my, my dream, Daniel, is that Vic Fangio gets fired as the Broncos head coach and we fired D'Amico Ryans. Nothing against D'Amico Ryans, but if we could hire Vic Fangio as a defensive coordinator, there's no defensive coordinator in the NFL I wouldn't fire to do that. So that would be my, that would be my dream. And I think he would bring a little bit more of a level-headed presence to maybe balance out Kyle a bit. It's kind of my hope. Um, I, I don't know if I shared this on the podcast, but a couple of weeks ago, more like a month ago, I tweeted at Ben Solak from The Ringer. Big, big fan of Ben Solak. He's become one of my big, big favorite NFL media personalities. And I asked him, he was doing like a Q&A thing. And I said, hey, like he's been talking a lot about some of the personnel decisions we've talked about that I don't think Kyle Shanahan does particularly well. He even talks about how somebody needs to, how he needs to do a better job of developing young players, all that. And I said, hey, mm-hmm. you're like, you've been talking about like these personnel issues with Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers. And I was like, what, what's the fix here? Like, do you say like, we, someone needs to restructure the balance of power between Shanahan and Lynch, or do we just need a new GM altogether? And this was his answer. He said, the guy in the GM chair needs to be more powerful. If that's got to be a new guy, so be it. Last night's game, a great reminder. This game was, this was the day after the Rams win. Last night's game, a great reminder. you got to keep Shanahan on the sidelines. Too good of a coach. Move on from Lynch before Kyle. And so I wonder if, if that's the fix to bring in. Yeah, and I, I think I agree with that too. And something Ben Solak has talked about that I that I'd heard is he was like something that a more veteran, a better general manager, not better, but a different general manager can maybe do is say, like, hey, you can't pull Diamador Lenore after one mistake. Like, we need to develop him for future years. Like, you need to have him out there, like improving. Like, you can't just be like one mistake, like I'm de- you're dead to me. Like, you have to let these guys develop. And so even that is something that, yeah. So I I would be very open to a new, a new GM, but I don't know how you, how you restructure the balance of power, power there and, and take away some of Shanahan's personnel abilities, like without pissing them off. I have a really hard time critiquing coaches, general managers, because I just don't want to pretend like I'm some dude who understands what their life and job is truly like, but I'm having a hard time right now, not critiquing Kyle in developing young players. You know, it's the, the, the big ones are Brandon Ayuk and Trey Sermon and, or Trey Lance. And we're like, okay, these guys aren't playing. And, you know, it, it, you know, the doghouse word has been thrown around for all of them. I guess not Trey as much, but you're like, why are we seeing none of them? Why aren't they playing? Like, what do you have against them? And then you made the comment about D'Ambro Lenore. And it's like, okay, a lot of young guys who we see promising or did see promising, like what's going on? And there's no comments made. All they say is they're not in the doghouse. And it's like, okay, well, uh, this makes no sense to, to me or to anyone else. Um, uh, but Elijah Mitchell, it's like, okay, he's, he's killing it. Uh, I don't necessarily – it doesn't seem like there's like tons being done to develop him, just – letting him play, you know, but at a point he's our only option when Raheem's out, when Wilson's out and sermons in the doghouse, it's like, okay, you're going to just give the range to Jermichael Hasty, or what are you going to do? So of course they're going to let Elijah Mitchell cook. 
And, and like similar with Ayuk, like somebody's got to pull out, pull Kyle Shanahan to the side and be like, hey, I get it. His route running hasn't been that good. He needs to keep working on that. But when you put the ball in his hands, he's one of the best players in the NFL. Like put the ball in his hands. We can figure out the route running later. Like stuff like that. You know, like someone needs yeah. to say something like that to him. Yeah, so it's, it's just a weird it's, – it's been a funky season in that regard. It's been a weird thing. I'm, I'm still confused. I'm still trying to figure out what, what I truly think or, or see in this whole dynamic. Um, I still think my proposed solution is that we hire Mike Shanahan to be our general manager. Yeah, I, I just – I don't see – you know, that, I Let's see a lot weird. of issues with that. But, yeah, it gets weird. It gets real weird. <laughs> um, something uh, – a couple – Two fun notes I have is I was watching this game uh, with two of my buddies, two of my old roommates, and one of them, Timmy, this was Matt, one of them, uh, I believe it was, was it Kawan Williams? Who had the interception off of like the kicks ball? Oh, that uh, was awesome. It was the the interception at the goal line. I'm not sure Um, who it was. I want to say it was Kawan Williams, where... Rushed through it. I believe it was Tyler Lockett, maybe, who was going for it and somehow kicked the ball up. I think up it was Gerald Williams Everett, got it. the tight end. Was it Gerald Everett? Man, yeah, he so. sucked yesterday. Two forced fumbles and that. That was yeah. amazing. Um, and so he literally said, this is going to be an interception. Right before it happened, boom, Kawan Williams interception. And then he has the nerve to say, Jimmy's about to get sacked in the end zone for a safety. And it happened. And I was like, one, why did you have to say that? Two, use your powers for good. But yeah. three, how are you calling these plays perfectly, man? I did I did see someone tweet out during that, like, why didn't Jimmy throw the ball away? And, and David, they tweeted at David Lombardi. And David Lombardi, who is never uh, never unwilling to get into a Twitter brawl in the comments and the replies, uh, pointed out that if he had thrown the ball away, it probably still would have been a safety because intentional grounding at the end zone is a safety. I want to have David Lombardi on the podcast so bad and just read through his Twitter replies and be like, what it like, why were you mean to this person, David? Like, <laughs> I would love, I just want to be educated by him. I, I think it'd be great. People are like, people are mean to him all the time, but like David Lombardi of the athletic 49ers beat reporter for years and years, like you gets things right more often than not. Like, I feel like he was one of the few guys who the whole time was like, I think it's going to be this Trey Lance kid. Like, no, I like Lombardi, but it, but his Twitter replies are, are fun. I've got one other topic I want to mention before we look at next week briefly. Okay. Timmy, you have three seconds to answer this question when I ask. Okay. First thing, first answer that comes. Who will win the MVP in the NFL? Um, maybe Dak Prescott. The Cowboys can can fix things a little. I was reading an article yesterday saying how the MVP race is wide open, and it is. I feel like I, in my years of watching football closely around the whole NFL, I have never seen such a no idea who's going to win the MVP. And of course I'm biased and that's why I'm bringing this up. But if no quarterback is who, and quarterbacks always win the MVP listeners, if if you don't know that it's almost always a quarterback. And part of me thinks it's almost unfair because I do think we need to give some other guys a look like Debo Samuel, because is the argument for receivers not winning it is, well, it takes the guy to throw them a ball and it could be, it's usually the guy who throws the ball who wins the MVP. Yeah. No. G- uh, Debo does not get these like 
perfect throws thrown to him where he makes these awesome catches. Like he is, I mean, he's half running back, you know, he has five receiving touchdowns, five rushing touchdowns over a thousand yards. I think actually over 15, no, just a ton of yards. If you combine both. So I just want to make the case for Debo as a strong MVP candidate, especially since no one has, has claimed uh, a big spot in the race. With Debo literally being the Niners MVP, with the numbers that he has had all year, I just think he has to be in the conversation. And I feel like he's beaten plenty of quarterbacks in the NFL out for worthiness of winning the MVP. Yeah. So. It would be, it would be fun for sure. I, I find it a little, I see your point. Like it's kind of a wide open field. Why not go with the guy who's been the most electric player in offense on NFL. Fortunately, I think people might lean towards Cooper cup. If you bring in that argument, Cooper cup is setting crazy records and is, is on a better team than the Niners right now. People don't love to give MVPs to, to middling teams. Realistically, I think it's going to go to the quarterback of one of the two one seeds in the NFC or the AFC. We'll just have to see, but I'm with you. That would be awesome. Debo for MVP. It's just such a bummer sometimes how like, you know, because all the things you just said, totally true. I just think it's almost like a fixed system. It's which which team did the best and which quarterback like helped them get there, which it does make sense. Of course, the quarterback's leaving the team there and the one throwing the ball. But when Debo Samuel's doing everything for the Niners, keeping him in the playoff hunt, putting up these numbers that he is, and you're right, Cooper Cup is breaking records and has those numbers. I think to me, it's just the, it's the versa, uh, versatility. Yeah. Correct. Word, yeah. Correct way to say it of Debo having rushing touchdowns, receiving touchdowns, all those yards is where I'm like, he's literally doing everything. So that's what makes me think of it, but it could just be my bias. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think there's a valid argument for it. Like, but I'm not, I would be pretty surprised if he did win the award. Oh, um, well. all right. Let's move let's on move to, next, to week. next week. Absolutely. The 49ers take on the Cincinnati Bengals, one of the weirder teams in the NFL this season. They were the one seed in the AFC at one point. They stomped the Pittsburgh Steelers two weeks ago and then got not they manhandled, kind of but around. they got, yeah, they, they got smacked around by the chargers uh, yesterday. It so was, I think it was 24 zero. They came back and made it a game, but they were getting smacked around the first part of the game. Yeah. Um, and so it should be, it should be a good game. Um, I think the 49ers can kind of hang with this this team, but the Bengals' offense has been very, very Taylor. good. And Let's their defense is solid as well. Like, they're they're probably going to win. I would I feel like I lean towards the Bengals winning this game. Niners are 6-6. Six and six. Bengals are 7-5. and five. I'm just reading all the, the similarities here. Record versus spread, Niners are 5-4-2. Bengals are 5-3-2. Record outdoor, both 5-5. Five and five. Niners are four and two away. Bengals are three and three at home, both on a one game losing streak. Um, points per game, Niners are 13th with 25.3. Bengals are eighth with 27.6. Um, they're, they're close in points allowed, total yards per game. Niners are 12th, Bengals are 14th. They're so similar in all of these categories. And this, this looks like a very, very evenly matched team in, in terms of statistics. While I think they're very different teams, um, you've got three awesome receivers on the Bengals and we have Debo and, you know, if we'll throw George into the receiver category for, for targets in this way, um, we've got those top two guys. Joe Mixon is having one of the best years of his career. 
Yep. I've right when I traded him away in fantasy. Right. I've been a big doubter of Joe Mixon for a long time. Um, but he he's making it work. He's doing well. Um, Cincinnati's yeah. defense is getting better. Um, they've got guys like Sam Hubbard on the edge who are really stepping it up. Uh, Trey, I believe it's Hickerson. Uh, Hendrick, Hendrickson. He was on the Saints formerly and, and is on them. So those are they're quiet rushers, but statistically they're there. Um, they've got a linebacker named Logan Wilson, who was a top ish pick in, uh, 2019, I believe maybe 2020. Yeah. Um, I think 20, 2020 and he's showing up. Um, and then Jesse Bates, their safety is nuts. Who's also a free agent. Um, I was reading an article before we started recording about some top free agents next year. And of course, Devonte Adams headlines that group, but, uh, J.C. Jackson, Patriots cornerback, is free agent. Uh, Jesse Bates, uh, Bengals safety. Yeah, Marcus that's some... Williams, Saints. Can we please just get one of them? Please? I was going to say, the 49ers need to, need to bring in one of these corners. We've proven we can't develop a corner on our own. Like, let's get one of them. And not someone – like, I like Jason Verrett. I thought he was a good signing. I think he's been good for the 49ers when healthy. But let's get somebody who, like, is on the field regularly. Sure. Yeah, so – I think that the biggest thing, to, oh, I'm so sick and tired of being a broken record and saying, saying the same thing every week, but we got a lot of injuries. We do not know who is going to be ready next week. Um, Dre Greenlaw, Fred Warner, Debo Samuel, Marcel Harris, Maurice Turris, we're all out. Jeff Wilson, Jaquaski yeah. Tart, Emmanuel Mosley all left the game. So, and I was looking at the injuries and I think the only one who potentially could be playing is Fred Warner. Yeah. Um, I guess Dre Greenlaw as well. Um, but obviously I want them back, but that was the least of our worries because Aziz Halshar showed up. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm worried about Tart and Mosley and where they're going to be healthy. Um, you know, I'll be stoked if my boy Hufunga gets another start, but you know, he hasn't necessarily been playing to a, a, a pedigree where I want him out there hundred percent of the plays just, just cause I love him. I do. But if we don't have Debo, it could be a, a, a tough game. You know, yeah. I mean, George did his part, Elijah Mitchell, you know, he, 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 Elijah Mitchell was just had, having a hard time getting some longer runs. I think a lot of that was because there wasn't as many runs outside. A lot of them were just up the middle and that wasn't working, but yeah. And let's I'm I mean, let, to watch Joe Burrow. Yeah, I feel like the 49ers can hang. Like we like the 49ers of two weeks ago, of three weeks ago can definitely hang. And I am optimistic that maybe this was just a one a one game, like playing a division rival blip. But I don't know. But we'll see. This game will be big. If we could walk away with a win here, it would it would do much to my hopes that maybe we can still kind of round into form and contend. Um, I hope we see Trey. We won't, but it'd be nice to see him. But yeah. <laughs> we won't. It Dude, should be fun. At the start of the year, I feel like we were, I feel like the defense was definitely more of a problem. It definitely was. Yeah. The secondary was struggle. Our defense was not, I feel like uh, our, even, even Fred Warner weren't doing their jobs like they are now. Um, but yeah. I feel like our offense was there and we would say, Hey, you know, this game depends on how much the defense shows up and this game rides on the defense. Totally. I think the, the narrative has flipped. Um, especially the last few weeks with how well Jimmy's played and how well um, our, our running backs are running game. I'm not going to throw Debo into that category uh, yeah. just yet. 
Um, I feel like that is that is very much more how our, our games depend. And so if our offense shows up, I, I think we've got it. But if if Jimmy's throwing horrible picks and if we can't get big yards on those runs or yard after catches, then this is an easy, easy Bengals win. So my thought is how much the offense comes out absolutely determines the game. Yeah, I I agree with all that. I think it'll be it'll be a fun game. Um, tune in. The 49ers can beat anybody on any given week, so we'll just see what what week is given. Um, but yeah, um, Daniel, any parting thoughts to our listeners out there? I guess that the, the, you were just talking about the, the game and how how weird it was, and you've said this from the start of the year that uh, divisional games are weird, and I think yesterday just it's just uh, making your case look so strong. Both Cardinals games, the Rams game um, obviously are helping, but what if funky game yesterday. And I, I think part of the, the weirdness too yesterday was the divisional rival game. So I'm excited to, to get away from that. I believe our next divisional and last divisional game is against the Rams. I think that's our last divisional game is week uh, 16 18. against the Rams. Yeah. 18. So, Cool. Glad to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. Uh, Stay safe out there, listeners. I don't know why I say that every episode, but do that. Have a good one. See you next week.